Hi folks, and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. A little bit of housekeeping before we kick off. As we, as you probably know, we rely entirely on you to keep the lights on, the mics on, and the conversations like the one you're about to listen to keep happening. The way you help us keep going is you click the link that says patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack. It is the price of a fancy cup of coffee, maybe a scone, once a month to you, but to us it literally pays the bills and keeps this little struggling independent platform going. We don't have the budget for flip-flops, nor uh, do we have the budget for Six Nations or Champions League tickets. We barely have enough money to pay for our own server. But we do pay for our own server because we believe independent media matters more now than ever. So if you like what we do or you hate what we do, but you get something out of it, please give something back. Join us for a month. That's all I'm asking. There's no long-term contract. You can try it out, get access to tons of exclusive content including a podcast I did just a few hours ago with the workers in Iceland within the store in Talbot Street looking for unpaid wages. That's available right now on the Patreon feed for our members alongside over a thousand of our back catalogue all in one place and entirely plea free. I would love you to join us. I won't lie, we need you to join us. So if you can, one more time, patreon.com forward slash tortoise shutting up now, I promise. Enjoy the podcast. <laughs> Welcome to Reboot Republic, the podcast that goes behind the headlines and looks at the big issues in this republic of inequality. We are the podcast of solutions and the podcast of hope, and I'm your host, Rory Hearn. I'm delighted to be joined in the podcast today by Fergus Merriman. Now, Fergus is a a Clare-based chartered building surveyor, and we're going to talk about solutions to the housing crisis today, and Fergus has been um, delivering them. Um, and got a lot of ideas about how we can actually deliver housing, um, sustainable homes for under €150,000. Um, and when we see the crazy prices they're at at the moment, this sounds pretty impressive. And not only are they can they be affordable, but also sustainable. Um, so, Fergus, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks very much, Rory. Yeah, nice to, to be invited. Yeah, and listen, Fergus, we met... Um, you actually emailed me after I wrote my book uh, a long while ago, and apologies for that, <laughs> um, and with some really interesting ideas. And um, again, apologies for being so tardy and getting back to you. But listen, here we are now. Um, do you want to set out kind of what um, your ideas, what you've been doing, and, and how you think we can solve the housing crisis? Well, I suppose my background started uh, over 50 years ago in uh, 1972, and uh, I started off going into uh, architecture and uh, I worked for a lot of architects in, in different roles. I studied architecture for a good while and I realized that um, architecture really wasn't the overall understanding about uh, about the building process. So then I went into working for engineers and various other people, work for contractors, work for big housing uh, corporations, uh, worked for uh, big housing developers. Uh, to try and get a, an overall understanding of the complexity of this construction process. And really, I suppose, my own uh, understanding about it all seemed very complicated. And uh, where was the simplicity in this that would really get houses built? Uh, so it's taken me nearly 50 years to really get a grip on all of this. And what I what I see is that we have a, a historic legacy of how we go about building houses that uh, doesn't really fit with the 
the current requirement to uh, to shelter people. And could you explain? I suppose, yeah, in terms of, yeah, what do you mean by that? And because and, we, we talked a bit about this, the um, kind of the property, it's almost that the delivery of housing is not done on the basis of meeting housing need or meeting need for shelter, but actually <laughs> done on the basis of what sustains the existing property values and as we said the equity within the housing system land values asset values would that be fair to say well yeah i suppose historically the the asset value was in the land itself and uh, and obviously that's a, that's a limited resource um so as we started to build houses um the the big pairs you know that the lord westminster and people like that realized that uh, they could apply value to whatever was built on it and uh, then came the uh, the idea of mortgages which is uh, a death measure if you uh, break that down into its true meaning and uh, which means that how long can we get money from these people while they're living in our assets and uh, and so that set in train a hugely uh, usually complicated way in which we uh, we go about uh, procuring uh, houses for people to live in. And uh, as, as I said at the beginning, that there are a huge number of uh, of people who um, are involved in the process right from start to finish, and they all have uh, different agendas. They're all pulling and pushing in different directions to try and achieve uh, what is in reality a very simple result. Uh, you know, and it's uh, it's shelter for for people, and that's that's what we're trying to achieve. Um, you know, just putting a roof over people's heads, and we've we've got a very complicated system of trying to achieve that. There's no simplicity in it, and uh, if any of the players involved in it from start to finish start to pull and push in different directions, and then the government get involved as well to try and control it. Uh, it all goes pear-shaped, and it only goes pear-shaped upwards in terms of the cost to uh, provide that the, that basic requirement. So what do you think, what is the solution, and what way should we provide housing, do you think, affordable housing? Well, if we look at uh, other industries like the, uh, the car industry or the aeroplane industry, they have um, a controlling body that uh, basically sets out uh, how safe the end result has to be. And uh, so we see in, the, in terms of cars, they get built in a factory, uh, they're, they're checked and tested at every stage, uh, they're crashed and, and burnt, and uh, then there's a product that comes out of the end of that that people can buy, and, and then they can go off and drive it, park it on their drives. Um, and the, the same with airplanes, one of the safest forms of travel we have now, simply because there's an overriding body that sits behind the scenes there and controls what the manufacturers produce and sell to the, uh, to, to the uh, airline companies. Um, in the construction sector, we don't have any of those checks and balances. We, we do have um, uh, building regulations, we have planning process there, uh, we have Van Warpel and all various other elements there to uh, try and control 
uh, th- th- this uh, disparate group of people all pushing and pulling, trying to make profit. Um, but there's no overriding uh, sense of how we can produce this. And, and one of the difficulties we've got is that the people who are trying to build these units uh, in fields are a nomadic tribe of uh, of various tradesmen, um, all trying to work in difficult sis- uh, situations. And the landscape has changed dramatically because now we have a very educated uh, population um, and going to... Uh, you know, build a house on a, in a field uh, on a wet day uh, isn't very appealing, uh, particularly when you've got to travel from one end of the country to the other, and you, you've you've got to get to 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 that location. And by the time you've got there and picked up your Russia sandwich and so on, it becomes incredibly inefficient. So, where do we need to go? Modular building is what you think. Well, if we were to build our houses uh, in, in in factories and manufacture them, you've got a huge number of efficiencies that you can bring to bear on it. Uh, the procurement uh, process of uh, the various components that come together to build the, the unit there can be controlled by, um, by a single uh, entity that says, okay, is this fit for purpose? Is it value for money? And uh, are, we, are we getting the, the, the right product at the right time in the right place? Um, it's very difficult when you're trying to build uh, houses in, in uh, you know, various areas, even on housing estates, when you're building large numbers of houses there, you're trying to procure uh, you know, screws or blocks or concrete or timber or whatever it is from the supply chain. And uh, unless you're a really big um, developer, housing developer, it's very hard to, to squeeze your suppliers down to the 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 the, mo- the highest quality for the best price. Um, when you're a, a a manufacturer, it's much easier to do that because it's a single point of uh, of supply, and so you 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 can then go out to the market and obtain the best uh, you best you possibly can. It's also um, very uh, socially. Um, beneficial, I suppose, for, for, for a workforce to come to the same place every day and they can go home for their wives and kids or their husbands and, uh, you know, they'd be there at five o'clock and uh, they get their pension and all of the benefits of, of a single workplace, uh, you know, and they're working in good conditions um, with everything to hand that they need and, uh, and find their own packet of... Now, Fergus, you did this yourself. You delivered um, housing uh, for 150,000, is that right? With steel frames that was done? Yeah, this was uh, an experimental house, really, uh, in terms of what can, what can be done. Um, uh, I've been involved with the uh, like steel frame, and I like the idea of that since um, since the millennium, really, uh, when, we, when we first came across the idea of uh, producing a house from a, a coil of steel. Um, the idea there is that you're using uh, the most efficient material that's recyclable and uh, is probably 90% of steel that we're using today is recycled already. Um, and, and that becomes very sustainable because you're using material which is consistent. Uh, you can guarantee the strength of everything. So you can drive down the, um, the, the redundancy within, within that frame to, to make it very efficient. And uh, 
if you're producing those in a factory, uh, then uh, you get in the efficiencies there too. So you can drive all those costs down and you're removing the uncertainty, you're removing the risk, and uh, there are a huge number of benefits to building houses in, in, in factories rather than trying to assemble them on, on, your, on, on, on your field. And uh, another of the other benefits you've got are that uh, because it's a lightweight structure, it's going to travel down the roads uh, and it's got to be um, you know, confident when it arrives there without any cracks and damage happen to it. Uh, your interactions in the ground to support this structure become much less because you've got a, a very robust structure you're putting on top of it. It's also very lightweight. So you're, you're getting efficiencies from all ends of the of the process and just on that the um questions come to mind if you were to do that today now given the rising cost of materials what how much could you deliver this factory built steel frame home for well we, we don't really know but uh we do know that there are a huge number of efficiencies that you can bring to bear and they haven't really been explored yet um one of the the reasons why we we haven't gone down the route of of driving those costs down is because uh, the manufacture of uh, of systems uh, and the control of it uh, is 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 very difficult. You, you've got to go and often get try and get certification for a system so that you can comply with building regulations. But building regulations aren't really geared up for this. They 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 have a different agenda. Um, they're still thinking that that these are a group of people um, who are coming together from all ends of the country to build blocks on it, in a field, um, whereas we don't have that overriding um, authority uh, in the same way as I mentioned before, the, uh, the, the car industry or the airplane industry or even the computers. Um, we, we don't really have that. We, we have uh, a building control regime that is kind of uh, used to seeing things happen slowly on a site. They're not used to seeing um, elements of a building arrive complete. They don't know how it was put together. Um, and so when you, when you go to uh, the certifying authorities like NSAI, they too are slightly at a loss because they're trying to fit what you're doing into building regulations so it's the tail wagging the dog there um if if you're going about manufacturing a car you know what the end result's got to be and you design it to work to uh the to fulfill the purpose you've got well whereas what we're doing we're trying to design houses to go through a factory process um that then fits with building regulations and there are great things within building regulations like fire and uh, health and so on that uh, need to be complied with. But we could do it a different way rather than uh, using uh, a system which is which is a bit uh, antiquated. I just if I was to push you on it, what what roughly price do you think we could deliver homes for? Well, if we were to drive all these efficiencies down and we look at the the raw cost of materials, you're probably looking at well less than 150,000 and and uh, this is this, I'm I'm going to get castigated for, for saying this but uh we're looking at, at changing the dynamic completely of how we procure houses and to do that we've got to start from uh, we've got to lead from the front and uh and 
produce things that people want, fit for purpose, high quality uh, that we we look at, and a range of them that uh, that that suit the need. So. If you look again at the car industry and say, well, look, I can afford a BMW or I can afford a Fiat, then that's what we should be producing. Um, but we're not doing that. We're producing um, cheap by jowl houses on housing estates there that fit a different process, a, you know, a historical process that's uh, aimed to um, fund a fixed asset on land and the equity tied to that rather than looking at uh, – uh, an asset which is maybe a mobile asset that is slightly difficult in under the current circumstances to fund using that that mortgage that death that death measure, measure process so in terms of why this hasn't happened up to now we've talked about this and you know you had these ideas and there are large the the if we consider the big developers at the moment um the you know we're seeing a certain you know talk now of modular housing and developing the first modular housing and increased use of factory build elements and the would it be fair to say again that these interests and and of course as you mentioned there earlier the equity issue the the issue of the fixed the value of the property mortgages the, the size of those you know, banks, financial institutions are big players, and people often don't think of that. Um, estate agents, these are big players, you know, financial investors um, are big players within the housing system um, because of the way in which this process has developed, along with developers and big developers. And these interests really have not supported the development of this type of housing and idea. Would that be fair to say? And in some ways, have actively blocked it. Absolutely. I mean, if you can see that you you have you're very comfortable with the process you've already got, and you know that the value of your own property or or your your estate of properties, and particularly in terms of the, the corporate uh, um, property owners, um, you know the the uh, suppose the the vulture funds acquired an awful lot of houses at one stage. Uh, for them to see the the equity suddenly undermined by uh, a flood of cheap, or <laughs> cheap's the wrong word, but economic fit for purpose units that are readily uh, can be readily acquired and then put onto a site by uh, by an owner of a property, um, all of a sudden you'll see the uh, the standing values start to fall. And uh, that's a bit of an anathema to 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 most people, even individuals that own the houses, to suddenly see the the value of your house go down because uh, next door there's a much better product. Um, you know that, that that's that's going to be an innate resistance to to change. Um, but it's something we've got to embrace um, because continuing down this route of um, trying to build houses in the traditional way. Uh, with a depleted workforce, with uh, escalating materials and gobbling up land, um, isn't really isn't isn't really viable. It's not sustainable in the longer term. And I I agree completely with you. You know, in terms of the question, you know, the questions that arise, can this be done with wood as well? Because we hear increasingly talk of the the use of wood as a sustainable form of you know factory delivered housing. 
Um, and the other question then is scale. You know, can this be done? You know, in terms of scale density wise, um, building you know medium rise, um, dense developments, can it be done? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I've I've designed an awful lot of timber frame houses over the years, and uh, yeah, it's a it's a great material. But if you start to look at the way in which we produce timber, um, in itself, it's it's probably unsustainable because if you walk into any Sitka spruce forest, you realise that uh, it's pretty dead underneath. You know, there's no biodiversity within the way in which we we produce timber. Uh, for to fulfill this need and then when you go in multi-story if you look at cross-laminated timber clt uh products yes you can go you can go high rise with them but they utilize a huge volume of uh of timber material and we're going to be cutting down an awful lot of forests um my own personal feeling is i like to walk in the forest and i like the uh, oxygen that forests produce um you know, and and is timber really that that sustainable when you look at the overall picture of 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 a, of a tree and the actual material that we end up using from that tree? And uh, if you, if you start to to look at that, you you're probably only using twenty five percent of that original tree. The rest of it is going back into the into the carbon cycle. And uh, then at the end of uh, the building's life, some of the timbers might be reused, but. Uh, uh, generally, we find that uh, you're you're not recycling that that timber from from a timber house. And in terms of then, so you think steel is the way to do it? Is steel a combination, or you know, th- this idea of building in factories, building? You know, you- we haven't we haven't really uh, experimented with um, how efficient. Uh, steel frames can be because we have this legacy of uh of, of building control requirements that um uh they certainly fit for purpose in so, some ways but um if you were to have uh, an agency that said okay look we'll, we'll go and get um a european norm for this um or or a, a european technical assessment for it there you can start to drive the efficiency a bit down. So the less material you're using, the more sustainable it becomes uh, by default. Yeah. And there are like factories set up in Ireland now that are delivering modular housing. And you visited one recently. Was that right? Uh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, there's the, there are there are various, I don't want to mention names, but there are there are various companies around, uh, around the country that are starting to embrace this. Generally, they are controlled by the big uh, standing construction entities uh, who uh, see that this is a very efficient way to build homes, um, but uh, the, the, they'll underwrite their profits. Now, so, to a certain extent, they, they certainly need to do that uh, because the costs of getting certification for systems is enormous. And the difficulties that are thrown in, in the path of people who are trying to force this change uh, are huge. So it, it becomes very difficult for them to to drive those efficiencies down whilst they're carrying this legacy of control, um, and and that's why I think uh, in your own situation, Rory, you're, you're suggesting that there might be um, a uh, a building agency that sits above and beyond uh, 
the, the controls we have there, this becomes a single entity for, for change that then can produce open source designs that uh, then allow factories across the country to start making houses. Yeah, exactly. And the the thing about it is that um, clearly we are developing the capacity to do this. Um, what do you think about, the, there's a kind of a, a cultural or, you know, modular housing has a bad rap, bad kind of name. Um, and obviously we're seeing some modular housing being developed for refugees. Um, uh, but really there should be no, like, it's almost like modular housing has become stigmatized in, in a certain sense. But there's, there's that, huge, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's huge stigma uh, uh, about, uh, 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 I mean, how many how many kids in the, uh, probably in my own situation having gone to uh, the Porter Cabin type of, uh, you know, school, school classroom. Yeah. You know, uh, they weren't really fit for purpose. And, and really, you've got to ask yourself, why were they not fit for purpose? Uh, and that's because they were produced by, by people who were, uh, you know, um, with probably the best intentions trying to build things um, without a real overall understanding of the building physics involved. And uh, that's why you end up with a bad, a bad product, you know. And uh, it's that, that old analogy of... Uh, you know uh, that the, the the sweetness of low cost gets uh, swamped by the bitterness of poor quality. So, but but the reality is there are examples now of beautifully designed and built and delivered perfectly sustainable homes, delivered in factories. Uh, so, sorry, say that again, Ron. So I'm saying, but now we see, and we know in the UK, and maybe I don't know if, you, if there's other countries. I've seen some work done in Vienna and. Um, of modular housing that is, you know, beautifully designed, architecturally designed, is completely sustainable, you know, permanent homes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and and, and uh, the, there's no reason why they, they shouldn't be. Um, you know, there there are some some um, very good uh, companies out there who are producing these things there, but they're they're slightly fettered by the by the, the controls that are on it there and trying to achieve building regulations which are designed for a slightly different uh, ideology i mean the ethos behind building regulation is 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 that uh, that you're going off to to build a product which is safe and secure and healthy and uh, those they're the basic the basic parameters of, of of building regulation so if we just take those three things there and apply that to a factory uh, produced uh, element there you can test it uh, you can you can test them out there you can uh, hom- uh, homologize the the output and uh, in the same way the car industry does there and say we've tested this unit there we know that it works uh, it does all the things it's supposed to do there and we've removed all the redundancy and those legacy of additive uh, building regulations that we've, we've got would it be better to call it factory produced housing or is there some other name or description you could call it rather than modular which does seem to have this negative connotations in people uh, well mo- modular is um not really a, go- a good term you're absolutely right uh, modular is basically trying to drive a, a a box full of air down the road and uh get most of air as cables on it when it arrives on site <laughs> but you know so it's not a very efficient way of of shipping uh, house, 
and uh, whilst all of the elements might be produced within a, within a factory, there's a middle road which is producing panelized products which can be um, uh, assembled, flat pack if you like, like an IKEA job uh, on, on site. So uh, you can remove a lot of the stigma because you're gonna, people can actually see how this is assembled. Explain that you know. more, but what's the difference between well, that, that assembly? Um, so what it termed as closed panel systems are um, where you're, you're taking all of the elements required to uh, keep it warm and dry uh, and structurally uh, robust um, into a single panel. Uh, and the same way you go, you go to IKEA and you buy a desk or a bed or whatever it is there, and you assemble those elements together that are that are very um, well manufactured, very accurately manufactured, and they slip together very nicely and very quickly and easily on site to give you robust connections. Um, and that and that's what closed panel systems factory produced will do. Um, whereas if you if you're looking at modular systems, you're trying to make that classroom. And, uh, it, you know, basically you've got all those walls together and because you've got to ship it down, down the road, um, you know, and keep it together without any cracks when it arrives in the, in the schoolyard, uh, it involves an awful lot of additional structure to, to get there. Whereas when you're doing, uh, doing a panelized system, you can reduce that, that structure down just to the very simplicity of lifting it off the truck and standing it on its, on its foundation. Absolutely. No, that makes sense. Um, another question, the the issue we also we talked about was land, because key key to all this is land. Um, because if you can produce housing, as you say, for 150,000, um, you know, uh, factory produced housing, and then you can provide, you know, public land, for example, affordable land, um, you're really talking about housing that that sorry the, the land element is essential isn't it really and this comes back to the the other part of the housing system that again isn't really talked about which actually adds a massive cost is the whole speculative ownership private ownership of of and control of the land market yeah i mean in in the old days it was a third a third a third so you you looked at the land value being being a third of the o- overall cost um, a, a third being the actual um, uh, creation of it, and the other third being all the other elements like the infrastructure and uh, and the profit. Um, so, if you think about that now, a, a third of the the cost of housing uh, is is the actual land itself. You know, it's the it's the one element that we're not making. Um, so, if if you look at the potential for somebody to walk into uh, a factory and say, that's the house I would like, when can you deliver it? Um, they can buy that in the same way that you might fund uh, the purchase of a car. And then you go to the land agency and say, to them, great, uh, I bought the house of my dreams. Where can I put it? And then you turn the tables on it, on on the, uh, the you're empowering the buyer to um have have their land found for them by uh, by a housing agency by you know so if we have a we have a building agency that's able to do that and bring together the various elements of state um, the local authorities um, NAMA and so on that all own huge tracts of land that are 
undeveloped at the moment there, you start to put pressure on them by the by empowering the buyers to say to turn up and say, okay, I've got this. Where can I put it? Well, I, I think the the point is that you know that housing, as we look at it now, and the point you're making, is completely driven by, as you say, to a certain level, an outdated model of housing delivery, but also a model that is completely driven by various interests, um, particularly developer, landowner, you know, financial, and that actually don't serve the meeting of shelter needs of across society and increasingly a generation, but also the excluded groups, um, be they travelers, migrants, refugees, and that in order to change this, we have to change how we deliver housing and setting up these factories seems key to it. And this design and development and changing the building regulations, as you say. And I do think that needs to come from society, I suppose, understanding. And, and this is why the podcast is so important and, and what you're doing, that it can be different and it can be done differently. And therefore, demand from politicians that hang on a minute, you know, this can be done completely differently. Yeah, there is a complete disconnect between the uh, the, the controlling authorities, between the, the developers and the, the builders and member and elements of state and and the, the purchaser and the and the purchaser feels completely disempowered by the process that we've got. Um you know, and you see the frustration going on at the moment of pe- people saying, "Okay, well, we'll, we'll go and uh, we'll buy a garden house because we can buy a garden house for ten grand and we we'll go and live in it, put in the granny's back garden." Um, you know, and that's the beginnings. That's the that's the the beginning of of empowering people to create houses which are appropriate to their needs. It's interesting, yeah, definitely the new forms of housing that they will take and. Um, is there any good examples of internationally that you could point to of this being done, of this factory built housing? Yeah, well, it's kind of they have a long history of of building houses in factories during the winter and then erecting them in the weather window during the summer. Um, and uh, so we we see the way in which they've done it, and they they you know they would have built, built log houses because they have a uh, plenty of timber to do so. Um, but if we go to the uh, the shipbuilding industry, we see that what that they have done uh, for the last hundred years is is build elements in in factories, individual elements, and then assemble them on the slipway uh, to create a ship. You know, so I mean, the, the whole idea in manufacturing is completely different to the way we do it in building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. It's fascinating. Um, in terms of if you were uh, minister for housing, what would you do to make this happen? Well, I think I would I, I would create a, a national building agency that sits above and beyond the the level of the construction industry that we're 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 dealing with at the moment. Uh, it has become too embedded, too complex, um, and uh, too frustrated uh, with the processes that go on. To enable any efficiency to happen, so it's currently additive an additive process. So I would see that a national building agency would would look at at you know starting with a clean white sheet of paper and saying what are the elements that are essential to providing uh, to providing homes, rather than saying well what have we got and how can we add stuff to it. 
Um, you know, just a, a very simple thing like the loss of uh, the local authorities' design teams um, has meant that they go out through e-tenders to procure uh, what they cons- what they perceive to be the best design process. But it's done on a percentage basis. So uh, no matter how good these people are, uh, they're um, underlying, but whether they realize it or not, they're going to be a, have an additive process because it drives up the percentage that they're going to get in their fee at the end of the day. So the, there's a, a lack of care or a lack of, lack of care is probably not the right word, but a, a, a lack of um, uh, impetus for them to be reductive in the way they design. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, Fergus, it was great to chat to you and really interesting. And I have to say, fair play on the, on the work you've done. Um, and it's so important to highlight that there's completely, you know, different ways of doing this um, and ways of delivering homes that are safe. You know, we're increasingly seeing it and, you know, it's shared on places like Instagram, you know, images of, of you know, beautifully designed modular housing uh, or not modular, as we we're saying, factory um developed factory built um housing and it seems to me that you know increasingly we are going to see people demanding this um as a new way and uh, it's great that people like yourself are are promoting it and encouraging it and supporting it and um, so thanks a million for all you're doing and uh, thanks a million for coming on reboot today okay thanks very much rory good to talk to you yes yeah. and we'll talk to you again hopefully <laughs> great take care bye for now Bye. Thanks, Fergus. And that was Fergus Merriman there. Um, and you can check out his uh, quantity surveyor. Um, he is doing work, as I said, around the whole issue of uh, modular housing. So very, very interesting modular factory built. Of course, I'm still using modular all the time. Um, but again, the idea that we can do this completely different and we can provide affordable homes uh, rapidly as well is so important. So as always, listeners, thank you so much. Um, for uh, listening, for taking the time to listen. Please, if you can, share around the podcast. It's so important that others know you're listening. Um, this is really important. People hear this. And also, if you can, consider becoming a patron of Reboot Republic. Uh, we are an independent media, completely independent, have no advertising, no sponsorship. Um, if you can, become a patron. Go over to patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack. Tortoise shack, which is our producer, Tony Groves. Uh, Shack Media um, and does all the work on it so yeah and we will talk to you all thanks so much as always for listening and we will talk to you all very very soon <laughs>